Welcome to Ageless by Rescue. This podcast is devoted to exploring the science of rejuvenation, uncovering the most trusted experts, the must-have products, innovations, and technology in the field of vitality, aesthetics, new beauty, and cosmetic enhancement. I'm Baha Etmanen, the founder and editor of Ageless by Rescue. Ageless by Rescue gives you unprecedented access to international and Australian experts and visionaries. Hi, it's Miranda Kerr here on Ageless by Rescue podcast. Hi, this is Martha Kay and you are on Ageless by Rescue podcast. I'm Trini Woodall. I mean, I feel I'm being interviewed by the sexiest woman in the world. Hi, everyone. I am so excited to bring you this very special episode of Ages by Rescue. Today, I am doing a special trend report, and I've invited three of Australia's top aesthetic practitioners to join me to cover off some of the trend forecasts and also what they're seeing in their practices and what they would like to turn into trends. Because some trends are consumer-led and not always evidence-based or science-backed. And so it is the job of, um, you know, leading practitioners to help veer the consumer and um, those who are interested in these topics back to evidence-based, science-based technology um, and uh, advancement. So I have invited three doctors that uh, I know and love and have worked with and rely on for information. You would know Dr. Joseph Hakik has been on the show on a, a number of occasions. Um, I've known Dr. Joseph for uh, over eight years now. Dr. Steve Crimston um, and I have known each other for a number of years also. He was recently interviewed on Ageless by Rescue for a trend report that we did. And Dr. Elsa Delport, who I had the pleasure of interviewing on stage at the Fresh Life Clinic um, I've also seen all of them speak at various KOL events uh, for different device and technology companies. They are literally the go-to people that other companies and technologies rely on. Um, so it's an absolute honour and pleasure to have you. Thank you for being on this special program. Thank you for having us, Bob. Thanks, Bob. It's our pleasure. So... Today's uh, topics are based on some market research that a company called Mintel did. So there is some forecasting on what's happening in the world of beauty and aesthetics. So we're going to be covering the broader branch of beauty, aesthetics and wellness, which is what I cover on Ageless anyway. Um, and I think that it's important to, again, frame this conversation with that I'm going to share with you some of the things that are trending, but I'm really open to you guys myth busting and um, and sharing things that you know you do or don't agree with as part of this report. Because um, I'm not a doctor, and you are, and you're at the coal face of treating patients and um, learning from this technology. So I don't want to take over there. One of the key things that um, is really, really um, hot, uh, and I know Dr. Joseph, this is a a theme that's close to your heart is undetectable injectables. And this is going to be huge in 2024. We saw this uh, emerging the past two years, but I'd love your take on what, what this is and what this means. Uh, well, thank you, Bapar. Uh, I think this is a very uh, close to my heart topic that I really just uh, lived by since I started my clinic uh, 24 years ago. and. By undetectable injectable, we're talking about discretion. P 
people want to look like themselves. They don't want to look like they actually bought an injectable. Uh, so this is about preserving uh, your face the way uh, it, it is meant to be, enhancing it very discreetly and subtly, but not to create a look that doesn't belong to your face and it's not part of your personality to begin with. So this is when we utilize dermal fillers to um, enhance your look, um, make you fresher, happier, healthier, uh, but also utilizing technologies that we have these days where we can hydrate your skin, we can improve the quality of your skin and, and the shape of your face without causing too much drastic change. Do you think, um, and I leave this open to anyone on the panel, do you think that we have course corrected since the Zoom face uh, post-pandemic desire to look drastically different and better, that we've course corrected and that whole trend of quiet luxury has seeped into how we want to look aesthetically as well? I definitely think so. Um, I think at a lot of the conferences, even they're teaching and speaking about um, moving away from the whole overfilled faces and how to manage overfilled faces and what do you do when a patient comes in with an overfilled face and how do you bring that person back to uh, wanting to look more natural and appear to look more natural. And I think we see the same across the board with even with breast implants and Brazilian butt lifts. People, it seems like that whole over-the-top thing is settling down a bit, which which I think is fantastic. Dr. Steve, yeah, what, is, what is you noticing in your practice? I would totally agree, and I think even this move to sort of a more natural aesthetic, which we're very much uh, on board with, and I think um, it, it predates COVID in many ways. You know, this whole move towards a, um, the undetectable injectable is is um, sort of fascinating and outstanding. I always say it's, it's much more difficult to do things naturally than it is to do things fake. And I think the, you know, our patients respect and understand that and there's an increasing knowledge. It also amuses me when people say, oh, I can always tell filler, I can always see filler in someone's face, their lips. You can only ever see bad filler. You can only ever see it when it's overdone. You actually can't see it naturally. Underpinning all this as well, I think we have to acknowledge there's a lot of technological advances in the dermal fillers and, and the biomodulators and the biostimulators and the devices that are allowing us to have more natural results. Understanding how the face ages, understanding the biodynamic differences in the fatty planes and how everything sags and how everything reacts to time um, is really important in being able to achieve those natural results. So bringing that evidence base and bringing that physiology and anatomy of ageing into how we practice and combining that with new technologies and improved technologies in the in the products we're using, um, it drives natural results, um, and I think that's that's really important. Dr. Joseph, I know that one of the things that you are massively you know interested in is investment in technology, and um, one of the things that we've talked about before is that your clinic is not driven by one technology, one solution, one filler brand, one device brand. Um, can you tell me about that? And is that an anomaly in the aesthetics business or is that, um, you know, is that something you've, you pioneered I mean, or is that something that most uh -huh. Yes. I mean, look, I, I agree. I think to be able to, uh, to be fair and to be good to your clients, you need to be able to offer lots of different, uh, uh, solutions to address their concerns, to be able to take them on a journey 
you, you cannot rely on one solution like an injectable or like a, a facial to actually get them there. Often we need to rely on technology. Now technology we all know are very expensive. And yes, we do need to invest into our practices. And this is why from day one, when I started my first practice, and even when I couldn't really afford it, I just did the magical way to actually try to um, borrow money, et cetera, just to actually build a practice that has so many different solutions. So I can give my clients what they deserve. So in a nutshell, you need to have those to be able to uh, take your client on a positive journey. You cannot do it without technology. So I'm curious because, you know, um, there's such an explosion of who can offer aesthetic services. Um, and, you know, even, even in Australia 10 years ago, um, it, it was limited where you could have fillers, injectables, uh, energy devices. And now it seems your manicurist is setting up uh, a, a clinic uh, in the back of her salon. Or, you know, you can have your um, – there are uh, clinics that will offer quite heavy-duty energy-based uh, device treatment um, alongside beauty therapy, essentially. So I'm wondering – do you see um, regulation? And we saw massive changes in uh, what is and isn't allowed last year and how we can and can't communicate this. Do you see the regulation is going to be on the side of the patient and help, you know, uh, evidence-based practices uh, lead the way? Look, I, I think I agree. And this is probably a question that Steve, uh, as a medical director, he could probably put some more information on this. But yes, the industry is changing. You know, everything's evolving. And we're going to have um, so many rules and regulations we need to abide for, by, abide by. And I think to be able to run a medical laser uh, machines, you need to have the medical expertise. And doctors usually are the best people to, uh, you know, supervise and run these equipment. Um, so I, I totally agree. I think that the regulation is going to change um, the whole industry. Yeah, I'll jump in there. And I, I think what we've seen in Australia, not just in the energy-based device market, but also widely in the in the aesthetic um, environment is a significant change in regulations already. And I think we should start this conversation by saying how positive that it actually is, because this is all based on patient safety. Do I think we're there yet uh, in the Australian context? No, I certainly don't. Um, currently, there's a, a, a large review into nurse injectors and how they are performing their procedures and how they are managing complications and so forth. You mentioned getting back onto the topic of energy-based devices in nail salons and all that sort of thing. That is a problem. Um, and it's a problem we see almost every day with um, patients coming in with complications from um, other clinics, let's call them, uh, where they've been using different devices, but, you know, generally don't have that knowledge of physiology, of complication management, of skin prep, of all these things that we utilise with the evidence um, to get to achieve results for patients. So I, I really, I think that is something that still needs a lot more work. Um, you know, there's a commercial pressure from companies to sell devices. Um, there's a market out there that's driving it and there isn't many controls around specifically the energy-based device market. So my recommendation to patients is always, um, rather than you know just going to anywhere to get your device, uh, you should really, one, be in a, in a medical uh, environment, a clinical environment, not a salon environment, um, and two, make sure that that person is uh, well-versed with that device. But mainly, I think also, 
has the knowledge and the capability to manage complications or avoid complications associated with that because that's sometimes you can't reverse complications relating to devices. They can be very um, dangerous when used inappropriately. So I'm quite passionate about that. I see it a lot. Um, and some people you just can't help because of what's happened previously. Uh, and it's um, devastating. Dr. Elsa, I'm going to ask you a question, and this is slightly adjacent to what we're talking about. I heard, I've heard you speak a couple of times about um, respecting uh, the anatomy and respecting the physiology of the individual when you're performing treatment. And by that, I mean that you don't want to feminize a masculine face and you don't want to overtreat a feminine face and turn it into uh, a, a masculine face. And I'm wondering, going back to that initial conversation of, you know, less visible work, what do you think uh, is happening and what do you think, um, you know, patients should be asking their doctors for? Because one of the things that I've noticed certainly is, uh, from an editorial side is often patients don't know what to ask for. We don't know what five mils or one mil or whatever means. We don't know what a device means. We rely on the skill of the practitioner and the good taste and the ethics of a practitioner to treat us. Is that question addressed to me? To Dr. Elsa. I'm yes. wondering with the, um, you know, I've heard you speak about feminization or masculinization, which, no, 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 no. I, I, which I, is I disrespecting kind of the anatomy. I'm wondering, does that feed into that conversation about undetectable treatment? Because you don't want to be, I'm relying on uh, on my doctor to guide me on that. And yeah. I, I think it's a very good question. Um, and it's not a simple answer. So to... To give you an example, just with regards to the millage, let's take if we have a, a genetic male that likes a quite masculine look, um, but this male has, let's say, a weak chin. Let's say he's got a very weak chin, right? First of all, you are going to want to actually give him a detectable result. Otherwise, what would the point be? Yes? So, and and that, that gentleman is going to need quite a few mills. We can talk. Uh, up to four or five mils here, and we can do this gradually, or you could do it in in one session. Although I think most of us would a week chin, we tackle that in in a gradual build up, and then you can have a patient that is already beautiful, uh, that doesn't need much, that comes in and wants something done. So it it is just you've just got to so much look at the face that's in front of you and, and what their actual goal is because some people actually do need a structural change and some people actually do need a visible change. That's and interesting because you're saying undetectable is only good if it respects the anatomy, but if you need to have a structural change or a physical change, it needs to be detectable. Absolutely. Got it. Absolutely. And that makes and sense. Making that structural change to someone's face can be absolutely life-changing for them. Like in a male with a weak chin, it's phenomenal. Like the moment you give someone that chin, they actually they look more intelligent. They look more competent. It, it, it's, it's almost a life-changing change for that person. If, so, if I can add to um, that. I think what we mean when we say an undetectable change, I think what we're saying is a change that respects 
the face that we're making that change to and that enhances that face. Got it. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And I'm glad that you made that distinction because you're right. When you kind of have a blanket trend, then it actually um, it cuts off the discussion for what you're saying, which is very much evidence-based, that some people actually need a visible change. And sure. that's what... Can I, add, can I add one thing to that? Please. When we talk about undetectable uh, filler, we're not talking about not seeing a difference. You do want to see a difference, but what we're referring to here with undetectable uh, filler is to make sure that when you place the filler, it makes it look like it's always was there. It's, if something's missing, you want to replace it. If someone's not born with a high cheekbone and they, that, that face deserve a high cheekbone to actually look more balanced, we're going to create it. But we will actually hide all the evidence. So how you place the filler, the expertise of the doctor uh, doing the procedure must be so high that you could not really tell that they've had any visits to any cosmetic physicians. Correct. And I'm going to jump in again because what we see is that people would get a, a cheekbone done at a clinic, but what hasn't been done is the temple or the subzygomatic. So you now see this cheek. There isn't a continuity. So now you can see that there is a cheekbone, there is a new structural phenomenon there, but it doesn't actually fit the face or the flow. You've got to now make sure that that cheekbone blends in to the rest of the face. And what about exactly, sorry, this is what I was talking about, is you need to hide the evidence. And by hiding the evidence, you need to have a plan of attack. So when, when a client comes to a clinic, we will have a consultation where we actually design the whole journey from a to Z. But in that journey, we're not only designing really what we need to do for their face as far as the structure, we're doing the, the, the journey for their skin. So that six months journey is actually planned at the beginning. No different to trying to build a beautiful house that you know you deserve. You need to have an architect design the house for you. And this is our job. We are the architect of those faces. At the beginning that we plan, we design it, we draw it, we stick to the plan and only divert from the plan if we feel that what we've done in one visit has given us more results than we've expected. That makes perfect sense. And it kind of leads me to my next question. One of the big trends for 2024, and again, it started in you know the past year, was the, the idea of a super clinic and with offering holistic um, management of the patient. So what I was going to say is that the, the advent of the super clinic where there are a number of specialist doctors and team members who each work synergistically to manage the patient outcome. And I'm wondering, Dr. Steve, if you could speak to that because we've talked about this before. Yeah, look, I think this, this um, you know, identifying treatment synergies to reach patients' goals and our goals for that patient, those shared goals, I guess, is really, really important. I mean, gone are the days where you just come and get your, you, you know, your your anti wrinkle and your dermal fillers, and that's it. And and in some ways, <clears throat> that's a bit of a drug that 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 that's created for our client base, for our patient base, because it's an it's a relatively instant result. Where in reality, to address aging and to address skin and and to address all these things, we need to introduce um, synergies or you know treatments, energy based devices, other type of injectable uh, procedures that may not be as instant. Um, but will get you where you want to be in the long run, okay? And it's fundamentally important that we're able to do that and 
it's also fundamentally important that what we're using, and that's part of my role where I am, is that it's evidence-based. There is a plethora of devices out there, um, whether they've got approval or not is irrelevant. The fact of the matter is, one, they have to be safe. So there has to be that evidence base. So they have to have, you know, all those approvals. But additionally, um, they have to be effective because it costs money. Our patients um, expect a result for their money and they trust us to give them that result. So it's really important to me and to, you know, and to, and to uh, our clinical team that we are achieving that. So finding those synergies, I think, isn't always easy because there is such a multitude of options out there. So it takes a lot of research and it takes um, a lot of dedication to looking into different devices, how they will um, fit into your patient base and how we can treat people with them. And, and in the end, you end up with a, a fair number of devices to be able to achieve what you need for different skin types, for different age groups, for different genders, everything. So um, super important that you are integrating that. and and this whole move towards this holistic uh, approach is really important. It's really important to have those devices to be able to facilitate that. And that's what patients are expecting now. And I think that's, again, coming back to because people want more natural result, they want more holistic result um, for and, and natural. I think um, what Steve is saying is so true. And it's so often that there's a new device and it's all over social media and it's all over TikTok and it's like this is the newest thing latest thing but with devices very often it's not just the device it's the operator of that device yeah. um, anybody can get like this is this is the protocol this is how you do it but if you don't understand that the skin here is one millimeter and that the skin here is three millimeters and that you've got to adjust your depth and your energies that is where problems like volume loss or these sorts of things can come in so uh, devices very often it, it's 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 very operator dependent so i think that is very important Joseph, when you um uh, launched like the double bay clinic it was kind of revolutionary like until i think i've traveled all over the world i'm lucky enough to go to uh conferences symposiums visit other clinics but what you created in Double Bay, not only was it just beautiful to look at, which is one a lovely aspect of, of your clinical vision, but it did have, it was all doctor-led. So um, all of your experts are doctors. And secondly, that you started to offer this holistic um, approach and this uh, synergistic approach, as Dr. Steve was saying. Um, and now you're... Um, opening another practice um, and that's going to further enhance your vision is that correct of, of that, that, is, that is very correct that is very correct Bahar I think look from day one I've always I mean having come to the aesthetic industry from general medicine and from emergency medicine I realized you have one solution and you cannot just focus on the aesthetic. You need to focus on the well-being of, of each client. You need to focus on their nutrition. You need to focus on their mental energy and how they feel within themselves and, you know, how happy are they, how unhappy are they. All of these need to be addressed. For us to be able to make people happy and give them positive results, we need to be fair and address all those concerns. And this is why from day one I had a nutritionist working in the double bay practice so we can understand the microbiome, the gut health, 
uh, I, I had energy healers and, and uh, chakra healers as well, because often people are so stressed and unhappy within their life. And that can that can manifest itself in skin conditions, in volume loss. And, and we've seen that. We see someone who gets sick and end up with, uh, for instance, cancer. You see how their face really change. So we cannot really address that by giving them a little bit of filler and then everything's going to be fantastic. Uh, I also feel we're not fair to the client if we address it in that facet. We just basically put a Band-Aid solution on it. We're not, we're not being uh, doctors and doing our job like we're meant to do. So for me, it's always been about the holistic approach. Like everything we do is going to address that whole human being and then truly care about that person to make them feel better and happier. Because to me, this is always going to be a, a ripple effect. We make one person happy through our, our, our treatment. They're going to make the person that they contact when they leave our practice also very happy and so on and so forth. And as doctors, this is our job and our obligation in a way that we actually need to spread um, these kind of vibes in the world. And what about um, one of the things, my personal experience with you, which I'm happy to share, and I think I've talked about before, is um, I was coming to the clinic. Uh, I noticed some changes in my face. and the first thing you said to me is, uh, you need to check your hormones. And you referred me to a doctor who was a hormone specialist. And I found out, and this sounds like I must be an idiot for not knowing, but I found out that I'd gone through menopause and I didn't even know. And that's why my face was changing. And if you hadn't mentioned it to me, I would probably have never even thought to do it. And this was like quite a few years ago now. I, I had my menopause really early. But... And it wasn't as much of a topic of conversation. And certainly um, I, I just had never considered it. But you looked at my face. I remember this. We were having lunch or something. And you said, it's time for you to go and have your hormones checked because it's not about filling. It's not about freezing. You need to see what else is going on. And and that was the best piece of advice I've ever had in my life. And then from then on, all the treatments that I had worked and and worked synergistically so i'm wondering i mean menopausal skincare and and menopausal treatment as as part of the aesthetic practice is a huge yes. topic I, I think i think the benefit is working uh, with a team of professional doctors and uh, and, and therapists is that we can, we can all collaborate what we don't have, uh, what I don't have as a strength in me, someone else in my practice will have. And, and then when we form a team of doctors, we, we're trying to actually complement each other to actually give our client the best results. Um, and, and this is exactly the, exact, the, the point that you just made, Bahar, is what, what, we're, what we're all about, is just to, to look at you and understand what is it you're going through and to diagnose this condition. You know, it will be, um, I would not forgive myself if I did not say that to you on that day. And, you know, obviously we need to be sensitive in the way we tell you the information, but it's my job. Well, you didn't tell me I've gone through menopause, but you said you might want to go see your hormone doctor. That's right. And I think and I, I think, was complaining about skin under my neck, which I'd never had before. But, you know, I think any, any ethical doctor or any ethical practice will refer on to more specialists if they don't have their solution. It's a mistake to try to actually dissolve, resolve it all within the practice if you don't have the solution. You need to be, you know, your, your most important uh, item in here is as the client. And then really all our energy and everything we do is for our clients. Yeah, menopause, menopause is brutal. We lose, <laughs> we lose, brutal. We lose 1% of collagen per year from the age of 20. And then in that five years that we go through menopause, we lose 30%. Yeah. 
And then after menopause, we lose 2% annually. So those five years, women just go, what is happening to my face? Things are changing. You have this massive collagen loss. Our um, body weight shift, our mood changes. Um, (laughs) It's rough. So I think it's really important to actually recognize when this is happening to your body. And then from a, a skin and cosmetic perspective, it's a very important time to increase and induce your body's collagen stimulation because that is the one thing that is just such a dramatic loss is that 30% of collagen. That's so scary. I, I did not know that statistic and that terrifies me. But I definitely, I mean, D- Dr. Joseph saw it and he very tactfully said, oh, well, I'm not going to feel that and I'm not going to poke around with that. First of all, let's see where you're at. Um, but I'm wondering... Dr. Steve, maybe you could share your insights on this. Are there specific, like, is there a bit of a checklist that you apply of treatment modalities that you do recommend for women going through menopause or peri? Um, it has to be very individualised. But first of all, like I say, you're very lucky for not noticing yourself going through menopause. Oh, no, I was crazy. I had all of the problems. Oh, no, no. No, like, no. I had all I'm a married man and I certainly noticed my wife going through menopause. Well. But um, sure it, it's a very difficult time. But we get back onto the, I mean, for, for a variety of reasons for both of us. But we get back onto, I suppose, this, this, the, the skin treatments and what you can do there. I think it's important to start early. And I think we're seeing a lot of, um, you know, new and uh, uh, emerging uh, skin uh, treatments, uh, injectables and devices and so forth that are very much, uh, are very clever ways of stimulating collagen and sometimes also elastin. Um, so these uh, these things, going back to what Dr. Elsa said, we, we know that when you're in that perimenopausal period, you're going through menopause, you're losing collagen hand over fist. And that's what, what you're seeing but you know, in your face and all these sorts of things. And there's obviously other skin symptoms and mucosal symptoms that come along with that. Um, but getting onto these things early and building up your collagen content and supporting your collagen stimulation through these processes, uh, through menopause, will have a long-lasting benefit as you're older. And I think that's really important uh, for people to understand. And I think it's important um, to, to get onto it early. You know, so you know, from your 30s to 40s, you should be starting to think about how am I going to boost this collagen that I've been losing so that when I'm coming up to this period in my life, I'm going to go, not going to go down all the way down here. I'm just going to sort of plateau about here. And that way I'm going to maintain more collagen as, as I age. And really, that is that's really important. Build up thirty percent extra, so when it happens, it's undetectable. Are you suggesting that we collagen bank that, like, we have this kind of yes. like? That oh, is yes. what I'm saying, Bar. Like, collagen well, meet up. When it happens, no one will know. Well, I, I remember Doctor Joseph saying to me that I had to stop losing because I didn't put on weight when I went through menopause. I lost a lot of weight. Oh, that's and interesting. I, yeah, and I was chewing through treatment product like and dr joseph said to me he goes you have to stop losing weight like you need to figure out a way of like boosting your nutrition you need to change the exercises that you're doing because the the effect of menopause which was as you were saying a 30 percent loss in collagen exacerbated by i was doing exercises i'd never done before i would like i was like i was super thin and i was just chomping through any treatment that that i was having um but speaking of treatment and jumping through, um, 
Dr. Joseph, I know that you're a massive fan of skincare. So in addition to an aesthetic practice, you have always invested in personalized skincare, multimodality skincare, at-home devices, at-home care. And I'm wondering if you would like to talk to that because that's also a massive trend. We saw last year that everyone was like over-treating their skin with 55 different serums. There is a return to simplicity. And I'm wondering if you have any kind of thoughts on skincare and how your philosophy incorporates good skincare into an anti-aging program. No, absolutely, Bahar. And I think what, what really sort of prompted me to look through that is just because we see in, we see in more intelligent clients. I think I look at my clients that come to, uh, to our clinic. They're very intelligent. They're very well read. So, so it forces you as a, a practitioner to also keep up with all these latest and reading because you need to be confident about your answers when they ask you specific questions. But I think more and more of our clients are asking for uh, bespoke uh, skincare, skincare that is made specifically for them. And there's already a couple of companies that produce um, resources for us to put this together, like Universe Skin and SkinCeutical. They've already started that journey for us that, so we can uh, give our client bespoke uh, ingredient uh, to suit their skin. And, and like we talked before about um, menopause, the, at different stages of your life, you get, your skin's going to require a different uh, ingredient to be able to support you through that phase of your life in order not to lose your elastin or collagen. Because at the end of the day, all that effort is just trying to keep your skin healthy, but to build collagen deeper down in the skin to preserve the skin uh, so, so the whole journey is comprehensive. Um, and so for me, it's always been important that skincare is part of this journey that a client will, uh, will, will go through. Uh, because with uh, skincare is not the only solution, because if you only use skincare, you're still sure. going to age and your skin might look uh, slightly better, but you, your face is going to age. So it's, it's a portion of what we do at the clinic to make sure this journey is, is beautiful and then the client gets what, uh, what they deserve to get. Um, but as part of your skincare kind of prescription, if I could say it that way, um, you yes. are also uh, a fan of, in addition to the aesthetic treatments, of having skincare treatments in between. Always, um, and always. People ask me this all the time. Yes, Why yes. do I really need a facial? Should I invest in a facial? Yes. I think a facial, just loosely used like this as a facial, as a relaxing exercise is wonderful. We, we all like a relaxation exercise. But a facial should be directed towards a specific concern. L like our skincare, our facial should be identical for what your body needs at that time. So if you're going through uh, someone who's got sensitive skin or eczema skin, our facial is going to be designed to help the skin heal because we need to repair the skin barrier. We need to make their skin healthier again so they can go back and use the anti-aging product that we they would not be able to use if their skin's really compromised. And, and so... All our facials should also be bespoke. Uh, what, what you experience as a client when you come to our clinic, you might, might be the same uh, between you and your friend, but what we do in the back bar of this, uh, of this facial, the ingredient that we use, and never going to be the same for you and your friend, and maybe never the same for you at two different facials, even though you feel the same or the experience is the same. Um, but what we're trying to do is, is driven to give you the best results we can at that time in your life. I, I agree with Joseph here and that we all love a pamper facial, but when, when I talk about my patients about facials, because you're right, they ask that, 
I usually recommend that they have a facial where something like either a laser genesis is incorporated or where a chemical peel is incorporated or they combine it with skin needling. So, yes, we can do the pamper facial and it's a lovely experience. But I think if you want to like have that component that adds value to your skin or your skin barrier or your concerns, which could be redness or pigmentation, then the facial becomes a bit expanded. But it's like almost like an extended facial or a therapeutic facial. Like Because I, I have to say, um, speaking to Joseph, Dr. Joseph, a few years ago, was the first time that I even considered uh, skincare and uh, maintenance of skin as part of the aesthetic correction process, I always thought, okay, well, facials are over here in this bucket and aesthetics are over here in this bucket and nutrition and longevity is here in this bucket. And, you know, I remember you explained to me that uh, if you don't have a good at-home program, you're not going to get the value and the longevity from your treatments and that, you know, you can erase all the wrinkles, but if you've got a blotchy, pigmented skin, you still look old and awful. Correct, so correct. Um, that was the so, first time that I I heard about that. And I thought, oh, well, of course, it makes perfect sense. So I had to wean myself off having a pampering facial um, in favour of, I, I think the first peel I ever had was, um, oh, I don't know, 10 years ago or whatever, but I, I had to wean myself off wanting to have Reiki and, um, you know, massage and that and i still like some aspects of that exactly as you said it's yeah. pampering it's and, nurturing and, it's lovely but i love the result of a cosmeceutical facial i, I love it yeah. and my skin my skin is better today I, I turned 50 in a week it's better today than when i was 35. i can categorically say that the quality of We've, my skin is better Please, please to hear that, Baha. But I guess this is why we went that extra miles. And when we designed all our facials for the clinic, we, we thought about performance. We thought about relaxation. So all our facial, our very pampering facials, but really we're sneaking in all this medical technology and medical ingredient because, um, let's face it, the patients are not going to um, know what, what to ask for. No one really understands, even as doctors sometimes struggle with diagnosis. But as doctors, because we're dealing on a regular basis, we can go on to clients actually diagnose their skin and give them specific solutions rather than uh, just a solution that you buy off the shelf. It's, it's almost like prescription versus going to over-the-counter product. And I think also if I can break in there, it's about bringing evidence-based practice into, into the art of facial. So you're combining, you're combining those two things because we want efficacy and we want people and to be... value, right? It's much better value. It's better value because it works. And and when coming back to the home skincare regime and making sure that that's all targeted, the, the other thing we haven't talked about in that space is that it gives the patients a role in their own skincare. So they come home and they're, they're participating in, in, in their own journey as well. And it gives them the ability to participate. And it's not all up to us, it's also up to our patients to maintain those results that we're getting here with, volumization and biostimulation and biomodulation and devices and all those sorts of things. So educating the patient and helping them understand the role of that is fundamental because it's a journey we take together. Um, I remember when you launched Le Petit Saint, which was like a skincare component of your business, um, there was a massive emphasis on consultation. 
And Dr. Steve, I might ask you about consultation because in a lot of the changes to the law that have uh, happened in the aesthetics world and in the surgical world, uh, consultation has really gone up the food chain uh, in terms of uh, safe, ethical practices. Um, I'd love you to speak to that as the medical director of, of what what you see the the future of effective consultation and building, uh, you know, an effective plan for a patient might look like. Yeah, I th it's an interesting question, and it's sort of um, interesting coming from our perspective because consultation is something that we've done from day one from practicing medicine. Okay, so it's really important to integrate that consultative process into not just things like consent and patient understanding, but also education about why they're making different choices, what are the risks, all these sorts of things. It's happened uh, in a medical context from day one. Much of the industry in Australia um, might not necessarily be built around that. There's a lot of commercial drivers to push things like dermal fillers and anti-wrinkles and all those sorts of things, which makes that less important. I think that's why you see now it coming back to say, you know what, let's go back to the patient and educate them on the decisions they're making. I'm so um, pleased you said that because I they, that was one of the reasons I launched Ageless because in Australia there was B2B publications and content and uh, podcasts, but nothing B2C. So you might have one conversation once a year on a podcast about these topics, but all the other conversations were happening internally, business to business or being driven by the seller of the device, but never educating the the end consumer. And I, I felt really compelled to jump in and go, hang on a second, why is no one speaking to us? Why is no one teaching us? Exactly. And it, even to this day, I, you know, when I have new patients come in, I'm sort of a little bit shocked sometimes about their lack of knowledge about the things that we're providing and so forth. So I, we all make a, a concerted effort to do bespoke planning, but to also educate our patients on why things work, why things don't work, what's going to work for them, how it's going to work. Uh, and what are the potential risks of doing these things? Okay, so I always say to my patients, I'm not going to do something that's going to hurt you because I can't sleep at night. Okay, but there's always a risk and we need to share that risk. And I can't share that risk with you if I haven't told you what it is. So um, it's super important that they understand that. And really, a lot of times patients go, I've been doing this stuff for years and nobody's ever told me that, which is sort of disappointing to me. And I get well, it all the time. I've seen it and I've seen... And we know, look, I'm not going to be negative, but there are definitely practitioners that are renowned for their um, practices, like a certain look that they, uh, you know, espouse as being safe and and attractive. And thank God we've kind of moved away from that. But um, do you ever turn patients away, Dr. Joseph? Do you, in your practice, do you ever say, no, nah, you're not the, the right On a regular thing? basis. Look, on a regular basis, I do this, and, and I don't just turn them away. I just try to educate them on the reasons why what they ask me to do is not the right solution to their face. Uh, and so it's, it's done in a very friendly, uh, educate, educational environment where I can show them. Even I can just jump on Google and find photos of, if, you're, if you want me to do this to your face, you're going to look like this. Is this what you actually had in mind for your face? And they immediately realize that actually they're, they, what they're asking is not realistic and not, not going to suit their face. But so I feel like there are doctors, and if I can say this, I'll say, say this on behalf of consumers, 
there are doctors that take the lead on creating a dysmorphic view because, as you said, Dr. Steve, we don't know. So we're often led, like, so you know what I mean? I, I 100% know where you're coming from, believe it or not, and I, I totally agree. And it, it warms my heart to know that the aesthetic is changing and that these types of um, injectors and clinicians out there, they don't have the client base that they used to have, essentially, um, because that's not what people want. Uh, and like I said before, that it's very easy to do that. It's very easy to kiss on big lips and big cheeks and, and convince them, oh, you look amazing, see you later, and take their money. What's not easy to do is to get natural results, to address mm -hmm. the way they're ageing, to have the undetectable injectable. And, and I qualify that by saying, I always say to patients, I want you to notice what I've done, but I don't want anyone else to see it. If someone says, who does your lips or who does this, then I failed, okay, because I want it to be natural. And that is the art of doing things like this, to make a slow and change that their, their family and friends go, God, you look good, but don't know why. I'll often be honest with patients and say, I'm actually not going to make you look better. I'm going to make you feel better because this is very much a psychology thing. I if went you... to a talk that I think Dr. Joseph and Elsa spoke at, which was exactly on this topic, which was the Confidence to Be You campaign. Uh, is, right. that, is that what it was called? That was something like that. And it was exactly what you're saying, Dr. Steve, is that um, I'm going to help you achieve something that will make you feel good about yourself. I'm not going to follow trends. I'm going to respect your anatomy. Um, I'm going to explain to you why you may need more or why you should use less. And I think that um, I'm really hoping that this is a legitimate trend that will take hold um, and that other clinics will, will practice this, you know, high integrity model, not just because the law has come in, but because it's better for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Great. Um, I'm wondering if we could wrap with each of you sharing with us what you are really excited about in the aesthetic space and what um, you're looking forward to. Um, Maybe from your travels or attending uh, conferences. I know all of you travel a lot and um, are speakers at, at different conferences. But I'd like to wrap with um, uh, maybe Dr. Elsa. You could start with something you're excited about or you're um, curious to um, learn more about? So for me, um, and in anybody that is a patient of mine, they know this, I am very focused on uh, skin, um, texture, color, all of it. So I think for me, as it was over the past year, for me, it's going to be literally collagen banking. And I start them quite young. I don't wait until there is lines on the toplet. I'm like, we're doing this so that you don't get them. Um, and there's, there's, there's a few very exciting new products uh, on the market this year. Um, and I think, you know, we have this opportunity to, to almost make cocktails and use different collagen stimulators because some skin boosters work different in certain areas. So for me, it's just going to be um, having fun with all the new sorts of skin boosters and biostimulators and, and just 
I'm going to collagen bank this year, God, for my patients and for myself. So, Amen to collagen Amen. bank. <laughs> I'm down for that. Yes, uh, so. Dr. Steve, what are you excited about? What are you forecasting is going to be important? Oh, look, there's, there's certainly a, a, a quite a few um, new things um, coming through. Some that have, you know, have, have a growing um, evidence base and some not so much that may very well come through in the future. For me, it's about, I think, um, identifying those ideal treatment synergies to get results for different skin types. Um, one of the biggest um, challenges is when you're using it, I use a lot of devices, when using energy-based devices is, is how you modify that device to suit a skin type and what you add in to, uh, you know, to that treatment whether it be a biostimulator, biomodulator, to actually enhance the results. And that, when we talk about that, it is collagen is really important, but we've also got to think about vascularity, we've got to think about pigmentation, we've got to think about all these other things and finding those synergies amongst the devices and what we have available to give people results, um, I think is, is definitely somewhere um, that needs work and that's where we're all heading. And I think what you're saying is so important and I would definitely highlight this to my audience is you know, if you're going to a clinic that is just injecting, you are not getting the best outcome and the best potential of your skin. You are not going to get there. You you will need someone or a clinic that can offer you the broader range of uh, treatment options and fillers or, uh, you know, muscle relaxant is just one aspect of it. Like, and as you, all three of you have said, a small aspect of it. So it might be a talented, talented injector, but that is not a good global plan for rejuvenation. And it takes a village. Yeah, it takes a village. And, and it takes, um, I guess, from what I've heard you say, a doctor that's willing to say, okay, my speciality is going to be the uh, injectable and this energy device. My colleague over here specializes in this and I want you to check out your hormones and, you know, um, consider some holistic wellness as well. But I do think those little micro clinics or, you know, we were talking about people who are generalists and suddenly slap on some aesthetic. I think they're going to be things of the past. I agree. I think the patients are more discerning now. And uh, I think there's a lot of people trying to sort of jump on the gravy train, as it were, but that's not the focus. The focus is actually on the patient and on the holistic approach, understanding and educating the educating the patient about the aging process and why we might suggest certain things is fundamentally important. So you have to bring them into that. It's their face. It's their body. It's their journey. So we, they need to be informed and aware of why things may work and why things won't work so that we, we, we're getting somewhere together. So um, agree, you, you, if you just volumize and you, you've taken this cookie cover approach to wrinkles and, and volume, um, I think your days are limited. I think really in the end, you need to be holistic and you need to meet the, the ideals of the new public. Yeah, Dr. Joseph, I know that you know, you're know you putting your money where your mouth is and you're, you're investing in a mega clinic and uh, an, an expansion to offer more and more and more holistic. Um, but I'm curious as to what your excited about in terms of trend and what you're really going to focus on? I think for me, really, what I'm excited about is that um, this has been always my philosophy. Holistic beauty has always been my philosophy. And, and you know, um, I'm really excited that the whole industry is moving in this in this direction. Um, 
so I feel like I feel like really sticking to my philosophy all along, even at the beginning where people didn't really believe what I'm saying is 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 a is a philosophy. Um, and then to the extent where I probably was so quiet at the beginning because people didn't want to really just go with me on this journey. They wanted to have the, only the injectable and stop and do nothing else. Um, sticking to my guns and then continuing on this philosophy is finally making me happy that I think the world is seeing what I was seeing all these years ago. And then we all going to practice uh, more ethically and in a better way. And I think it's going to be all about holistic beauty. To me, it's always been holistic. And it's, I think I'm glad to see that we all started to talk about this language. And then I'm glad to see that uh, in 2024, it's non-invasive. It's going to be even bigger than better than ever, I should say. It's going to be bigger than ever. Um, and so, I, look, I'm excited that we, we're on the right track uh, at our clinic. And, then, um, and there's going to be more of the same. I'm so grateful for your time. I know you're actually um, haven't even gone back to work and you uh, jumped on this recording with me. Um, I, I am so excited about the future of aesthetics. I'm so excited about the future of skincare and rejuvenation. As I said, uh, I'm a week shy of turning 50 and um, I think I've become a lot more gentle in my own approach um, because I do realise that it takes a village, um, that it's not a cookie-cutter approach. And also um, there are things that I'm happy to leave alone and there are other things I'm happy to invest in. And I hope that by sharing, um, you know, the insights of three remarkable physicians and experts that uh, I can inspire other people to remember that, you know, their anti-aging journey is deeply personal, that they need to connect with a doctor, with a clinic, with brands that make them feel safe, make them feel seen, make them feel heard. And um, I just want to thank you so much, each and every one of you. And um, I look forward to tapping into your uh, wonderful brains as the year goes on to bring more science and evidence-based um, solutions to my listeners and viewers. So Happy New Year and thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Bola. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share and rate this episode. I'd love that. I'm Bahar Etmanen, your host and founder of Ageless by Rescue. For more exclusive content, show transcript, behind the scenes video, real people reviews and extended interviews with experts, I invite you to please follow us at Ageless by Rescue on Instagram, Facebook and Rescue TV on YouTube. You can also sign up to receive our e-magazine and newsletters all for free.